This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here today with my co-host and mother, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. How you doing? Good. Welcome to the show. Yeah, well, we've got an interesting show today, and it's always tough because we're going to be talking about teenage depression and suicide. And we know there's a lot of that out there, and we have a wonderful woman on there who's going to give us some good advice because I know there are a lot of people that need it, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I worked with 9-11 bereaved children for 10 years who had lost a firefighter father in the World Trade Center. And I will tell you, I worked with these same kids for 10 years, and the minute they became teens, their moms called me. My phone would ring off the hook with questions about how to help them and how much with what, what they were going through was grief, how much was regular teenage stuff. And we do have someone today that can help us with those kind of answers. Those are really tough questions and difficult to answer. Yeah. So I want to introduce our guest today, Hyde. I'd love to. So our guest today is Carolyn Zano. Uh, Carolyn is the bereaved parent of Cameron, who died by suicide in 2005. As the result of his death, she founded the Shore Grief Center, located in North Carolina. The Shore is a nonprofit that provides grief support groups to kids, teens, and adults who have experienced the death. She is the author of Save the Teens, Preventing Suicide, Depression, and Addiction. Welcome to the show, Carolyn. Hi, ladies. I appreciate you inviting me so I can share more it's, info. It's great having you on. And let me say, I am so sorry about your son, Cameron. Well, thank you. But he has really opened me up to help so many others. So maybe there was a message and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk about, I know you talk a bit about the signs that you missed with him. And um, I wondered if you wanted to talk about what some of those signs were for people that are listening. Some of the signs that I, um, the biggest thing was um, the fact that his dad died when Cameron was 15. That's actually what brought me to the whole Shore Grief Center thing. I didn't know how to help my son, you know, his dad had died. I didn't, he, he was my ex-husband, by the way. Um, but like any parent, you don't know, you know, you don't plan for that to happen. So how do you help your kids? You do the best you can and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember, I thought, oh, well, I'll just share stories of my life with his dad. You know, we were married for 13 years, and he would just glare at me like, how dare you say anything about him? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I was trying. But um, from that, he he started going downhill. And um, actually, you know, he did go to many therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, um, but when he drifted over into drugs, once again, I didn't know what to do. So There were signs, but I never assumed that he would kill himself. No one ever assumes that their their child would do that. Never. I agree with you, Carolyn. And you're making so many important points out there for people that have teens. And I actually do have a teen. I have a 17-year-old son. But, you know, teenage years are difficult even given the best of situations and the right. best. And here you had Cameron, and he lost his father. And he was only 15, and that's such a significant loss for a 15-year-old boy. Right. And, you know, like you said, so we don't know how much of this is just in life when we have teenagers. It's just hormones and normal teenage stuff, or should we be concerned? And so I totally can understand 
for you and all the parents out there that have struggled with this kind of situation, how you can miss the signs. I mean, even as a therapist, and I work with teens, sometimes I miss the signs because, you know, children are good at hiding a lot and not telling us a lot. Yeah, they masquerade a lot, don't they? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I like three of the things that you've said in an article that I, I read that you were interviewed for. You said, what I wish I had kind of known in hindsight, and the three things that you can really do, and I'm sure you did some of these, is acknowledge your teens and what they do, let them know that they are good enough, and listen to them. And I really love those because, you know, there's so much pressure on teenagers and they're, they're being critiqued and criticized in school and by coaches and et cetera a lot. Mm-hmm. But they also, um, this is funny as well, my son used to always, somewhere along the way when he was a teen, he said, well, you know, you need to tell me to make good choices. And mm-hmm. he, was, he was a funny guy, you know. So I'm like, okay, every time he left, I'm like, Cameron, he goes, I know, make good choices. So, you know, he knew these things already. Right. But I think his grief and his depression just just overpowered any kind of making good choices for him, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And teens do want, you know, they want to be heard. They may not respond, but they still want to know they love you. Or, you know, vice versa, both ways. It's just important. Whether they respond or not, they want to hear it. Right. And, you know, I, I recently heard the... By uh, who's the head of the Drug Association for America on 2020, and he made the comment, I think it was on 60 Minutes, he made the comment that these drugs that kids are taking now are brain-altering, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they really cause depression and these kinds of things. So right. Sometimes it's a physical thing going on also that they have no control over. Um, I also learned after my son's death that when they are abusing drugs, they can become bipolar. Mm. Wow. And he definitely was. I mean, I knew he was depressed, but sometimes he'd be bouncing off the walls. So I'm like, well, what's going on now, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, so confusing. When you throw drugs in on top of depression, it's really, really bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, how, do you get, how do you get teens into group support? I mean, you were talking about going into individual therapy and things, but I think sometimes groups really are the thing for kids, do you think? Um, yes, for little kids and teens, um, most therapists are the ones who recommend to the parents, you know, they do, they will do better in a group because they're sitting with a peer. Maybe they don't know them, but they definitely connect. The, you know, the facilitators are there, but we're just kind of guiding them and we're also giving them the better choices of things to do. But when they're, when they're sitting at a table doing a collage or drawing something, that's when they open up to each other. So we just mm-hmm. want to step back and let the magic happen. <laughs> and like you mm-hmm. said, you know, teens have the, some of the best conversations when they're doing something. Yes. Not when they're sitting staring at us. You know, I'm always, I'm no. constantly hearing adults say to teens, look at me when I'm talking to you. And I'm thinking, but some of the best conversations happen shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Or, or when you're doing something. Yep. Some of my best conversations were with my son was when we were traveling together. Mm-hmm. We were in the car together doing something, you know, going on some distance other than the mall. Then, we, you know, because we're not staring at each other. Right. And sometimes teens will, as you know, look at our facial expressions to see how we're responding to what they're saying. Oh, and gosh. if we're responding with a, you know, a weird nonverbal communication, they might shut down or change the topic. Yep. Yep. And, and my expressions tell so much. I, actually, actually, I substitute teach now part time because mm-hmm. I like to be with kids. 
Yeah. And my facial expression gives away so much sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to, you know, make that invisible face. <laughs> so, so what can teens do? I know you do this as a li- for a living, and I love that you wrote this book. What can teens do to shake off bad days? <clears throat> I would say the biggest thing is go out and do something physical. Because when you do that, I mean, just running, um, playing basketball. I see kids on my street play basketball all the time, and they're so excited. Um, what, whatever the current high activity thing is, hey, then go dancing, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that increases the endorphins in your brain, and that just makes you happier immediately. Yeah, that's one thing uh, they can shake off. Um, just have some kind of relaxing hobby, you know, where. Get off your phone for crying out loud. Oh, my gosh. These mm-hmm. kids on <laughs> their mm-hmm. phones now. It's terrible. Yeah. Just, uh, they're, just do some happy stuff. Think happy thoughts. Think, listen to happy music. Mm-hmm. That's some of this dreadful stuff. Well, well, you know, you're making a really good point. And, and the research shows that for every negative thought we have, we should force ourselves to think three positive thoughts because it takes three positive thoughts to counter that negative energy that you've just put into your brain. Mm. Probably very true. Mm-hmm. So I love this idea. So I wanted to ask you about doing uh, founding the Grief Center. I think that's pretty amazing that you did that. Uh, there was nothing in your community, and you did the Shore Grief Center? Yeah, exactly. How did, yeah. Well, how, did, how did you go about doing that, and how long was it after Cameron died? Because I know people, um, I don't know, I think one of the steps out of grief is service, certainly. Well, yeah, and especially after a suicide, people really want to help others. But Mm -hmm. they recommend that you wait two years before you do anything. Um, I started an adult grief support group for others who've lost someone to suicide. So I did that like two and a half years after he died. But as I was going, over years, now he died... Ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So over time, it it took me a little while for me to hook the dots, going, wait a minute. Maybe he was depressed because his dad died, and I didn't know how to help him. There was no, nothing there to help him. I think they had something in his school, but it wasn't really grief-related. Mm-hmm. So um, I attended the National Alliance for Grieving Children Conference. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago it was now. Um that's and a great group. Patty and I have been there. They're wonderful. Exactly. And they're the, I told them what I was doing, and, you know, they said they, they strongly encouraged me to start a nonprofit. So I did. Wow. I did. And, you know, yeah, it's a struggle because it's, it's a business. It's mm-hmm. not one little group now. You know, it's more groups and their support, you know, on the phone and support on the website. But um, I feel like that's why I'm here now. I love it. So, so if someone were listening and they wanted to do what you did, they you uh, suggest that they get a hold of the National Alliance for Grieving Children. Yes, they're 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 very very good. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to go out and speak more now on how to start a grief group. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I have spoken at um, a social workers conference on how to do that, and people were taking notes like crazy because they everybody knows there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially it. during the teenage years. Well, little know? kids too. You know, they yeah. get forgotten. Yeah, well, have, this is true. They have people die too, and they don't. Parents really don't know what to do with them. Well, this is tr- this is true, Carolyn, because you don't think of children. You don't 
pairs children and suicide together, but we both know that children as young, you know, young children have taken, you know, taken their lives. They have died by suicide. Right, but it's not just suicide. It's any kind of death. I mean, I've got a a little boy now in a group. His grandfather died, and he had like four or five uncles die recently, Mm -hmm. all within a year. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a lot. So so I wanted to ask yeah. you something about teens again, because I'm uh-huh. just, you have so much great information. What do teens want from their parents? What do teens want from their parents? They want, they want acknowledgement for one thing. Okay. You know, that they, they too, ex- sometimes parents figure teens just want to be left alone. But mm-hmm, that's true. You have to re- pretend they're, Six-year-olds in an adult body. <laughs> I like know? this, yeah. Mm-hmm. They still want attention and love. They really do. Yep. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but they do. That's good to know. So sometimes mm-hmm. they, even if they roll their eyes and act like they don't care, they they still want connection with their parents. Yes, of course. We're, yeah. we're still their guiding light. Yep. And probably always will be. Yeah, and... And what about you? Um, now, you're a parent with no living children. Mm-hmm. How, how do you deal with that? You're teaching, you're getting yourself out with kids, even though you yeah. haven't, don't have any living children now? Exactly, right? <laughs> Some people mm-hmm. would probably want to pawn their teens off on me. I'm like, no, that's okay. I've, I've gone through that. <laughs> I'll help them through their grief, but that's it. <laughs> I think this is important to know what you're doing. I want people yes. to know this because we know people who are parents with no living children who are not doing well with it. And I, I think the way you move out with service is is uh, wonderful. I just wish I could get more kids to come and more teens to come to the group. It's um, I'm not sure. I, I really haven't figured out the key. I think... They just need to know about us more. It just takes more marketing. You know, there's the business side of it. So, Carolyn, mm-hmm. what would you say to parents out there that have no living children mm-hmm. and are saying, I don't know how I'm going to survive or even if I want to. I don't have any children here to live for. Well, you don't just live for children. Mm-hmm. I would hope. I mean, somewhere along my grieving um, journey, someone t- said, Find two or three things to live for, and that that things. One of my things are daffodils. Watching daffodils bloom in the mar- bloom in March makes me happy. Mm-hmm. I love another, that. Mm-hmm. Another is um, one of my sisters, <laughs> mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. I do have a husband, but I have a sister who I'm really close to. So there's other things you need to find that make you happy, no matter what. Mm-hmm. But um, I've been impatiently waiting for one of my nieces or nephew to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So there are children. Yesterday, I finally saw my great niece. Ah, oh, finally. <laughs> so it, it is really nice to see a baby again. It's been a long time. Yeah, babies are great. Now, did mm. you have a turning point when you realized that you needed to find other things? Was there a turning point for you in your grief? Uh, you mean, hmm, uh, let me think. Turn, what, when I decided I had to find a turning point? Or when you just found that yeah. there's a little hope. You found, okay, wait a oh, minute, okay. there's a little bit of hope in my life. I'm feeling mm-hmm. like there's a shift. Right, right, right. Um, it, it's somewhere between that one and two-year mark, mm-hmm. I would say. 
you start to give up on, you, you keep listening for the familiar sounds, you know, when someone dies, like the door, the door being unlocked, the music coming from upstairs, things like that. You, you finally give up on that after a year. It's like, well, I guess, I guess they really are dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be able to say that. And right. feel, feel kind of comfortable with it. You know, you never are. Right. Um, but that's really with any kind of death, not just a child. Right. Um, but I do, yeah, lots of parents who, you know, I've run across a lot of parents who've lost a child and from suicide, unfortunately. And we just have to tell them, yes, you'll survive this. I mean, I had someone before me early in my stage, I thought, well, they survived this. So I can too. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. important. People further down the road can be lifelines for us. Right. And you, you also made another point, and I want to just um, paraphrase the philosopher Joseph Campbell, who said, we must be willing to give up the life that we have planned oh, so yeah. that we can embrace the life that is waiting for us. Exactly. And it yeah. sounds like between year one and two, you started making that shift. Mm-hmm. Well, and seeing other survivors, like I said. Mm-hmm. And you just, and I, rem- I remember also went to, um, besides going to a Survivors of Suicide Loss Group, I went to... Yeah, I was uh, going to ask you if you did that. Yeah, groups are I did, are I did about two, week, two or three weeks after my son's death. And then, after I went to two or three of those, I'm like, okay, wait, I have to put aside how he died and, and bring up the point that he died. Because mm-hmm. just dealing with suicide is awful. So my husband and I went to one of the... Um, hospice grief groups, mm-hmm. six or eight weeks. And that, just like your your paraphrasing was, the, I remember the night the, the the leader said, okay, your future has changed forever. Woo! That's like someone just slapped me in the face. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It, 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 it totally changes. There's no more ever being a mother of the bride. There will be no grandmother for me. It's just all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's a reality you have to face. And, and yet wow. in all of that, in all of that reality, Carolyn, which is so heavy, you have found a lot of meaning and purpose and significant reasons to to find hope again and to go on, and you have done that. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. By helping others. Well, tell us about the uh, Short Grief Center, where your uh, website and all that kind of thing for people and where you're located and you have groups. And, and all that jazz. How do we huh? find you? <laughs> okay, the website is theshoregriefcenter.org, and shore is spelled S-H-O-R-E. And people love to ask, well, why is it called the shore? Because you're not at the shore. Like, a- actually, where we're located is um, Wake Forest, and we're between the beach, and there's tons of lakes around us now. Lakes have shores, too, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but to me... I've always loved the beach, and to most people, when you say, okay, the shore or the beach, what do you think of? And immediately they say, well, I'm peaceful, I'm relaxed. Like, there you go. Mm-hmm. There so you, you go. come to the shore okay. grief center, and you find peace and calm. So that's why it's named that. And um, so Wake Forest is just north of Raleigh. We actually hold an adult group in North Raleigh, so... I think in 2016, we're really going to branch out more into other towns that don't have any groups for kids. 
That means we'll be well, traveling a little bit, but that's okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Uh, uh, you're great. And and they can get your book, Save the Teens, Preventing Suicide, Depression, and Addiction, mm-hmm. off of your website? Um, I, I believe it's on my website, but it's also on Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show today and for all you do. I, I'm very impressed with you. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad I can offer hope to parents who've lost a child and to parents who have teenagers. You'll survive. They'll survive, hopefully. Thank you so much, sure. Carolyn. You are doing so much to change the world and to save lives every day. And I feel like Cameron is your guiding light. He is. He is. Thank you. Well, Heidi, uh, I'm really seriously very impressed with Carolyn because we talked to a lot of uh, parents with no living children, and not only that, but involved with suicide and carrying on and helping other people. It's just incredible. It really is, and you can see the posi- You can hear the positive in her voice. I mean, you you know that she's in a place of hope, and she is a lifeline to so many out there who don't know how they're going to find hope again. We want to thank everybody for listening to the show. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.